Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend, church. You're kind of here in my uh, patio office. I've done a lot of work here in the last year, as many of you have worked from home and, and understand what that's like. I'm doing this here because it is, uh, I'm kind of on COVID reserve, which means in our church, we, we value the fact that, well, we said one of our priorities will be safety and having people engage at the level they feel comfortable. Uh, I was uh, exposed to someone who had COVID, so I'm taking that, that time, just as we have said, and, and looking at it as a way, how do we love and serve and do good to others? I don't care where you fall on what end of the spectrum, whether you think it's nonsense or not. Uh, it's our desire to kind of follow that loving God, loving others, and this is one way we can do that. So I encourage you. Um, I love your prayers. Hopefully I'll be back in the pulpit. We're actually at church soon. I want to share with you uh, the fact that I have had the opportunity to either read of or have some firsthand experiences of miracles, which I'm sure many of you have, or if some of you had, maybe one in your life. Um, in March 2015, Utah rescuers heard an adult yelling, help me, from inside a car that had crashed into the icy Spanish Fork River. And you may have remembered this, they raced to answer the call and they found an 18-month-old, her name Lily, suspended above the freezing water in her car seat. Lily's mother had died in the crash, so there was no way she could have been the one calling for help. And Lily was just too young to talk. Lily had been hanging upside down for more than 14 hours and would not have survived much longer if it hadn't been for that mysterious voice. On a more personal note, I this uh, last podcast that I did with Garrett and Allison Berkeley from our church, and Garrett, who is now part-time working with young adults, uh, they did this one on on vulnerability, and I'd love for you to check it out and share it with someone. But Allison and Garrett were called for four years to work in South Africa. They oversaw quite a lot of different works, but one of the things they did is they lived on a, on a compound that had a children's home, or really it's more an orphanage. Uh, they called it a children's home just because of the dignity of that word. It's a gated area, and it was garden protected. But one night, late at night, uh, they had had... Um, a group come in from uh, out of country to help serve and to minister there, and they hadn't been there necessarily that long. And that night, uh, some thugs broke in. They broke into the actual home that this ministry group was in. They came to take uh, money, valuables, electronics, or whatever they had. There was just a couple, a husband and wife, who came out later, and and I don't know if they thought they were resisting what they wanted to do, but the guy became angry, most likely the leader of the group, and, and, and Garrett tells the story that the guy pointed his gun at the uh, this man's head, the husband of this wife, who's sitting, he was right near him, and he pulls the trigger, and it clicks, and he takes the gun, and he points it to the ceiling, and he clicks it, and it shoots. And so he takes the gun again, points it at the guy's head, pulls the trigger, and it clicks. He then takes the gun and one more time points it to the ceiling, and it goes off. And because of that, was so um, confused and things just seemed strange that he and the rest of them left, and no one was hurt. You see God's miracle of protection 
I've seen miracles of healing. One of the most moving miracles I've seen was how God um, healed a man I prayed for. I, I had just been getting to know him. He had accepted the Lord uh, a few weeks before that. Uh, he had terminal cancer, and they had done a couple different x-rays and found it, and they'd done it a couple different times. Uh, this was the day he was going to have surgery. And so I showed up about an hour before he was going to go into surgery so that I could pray with him. And I was sitting in the hospital parking lot. I remember it. It was out at Waconia. And, and, and I'm sitting in the Waconia Hospital parking lot. And I'm just asking God, what, what, should, I, what should I read? What scripture should I read to comfort him? And, and, and the Lord led me to Mark 10, verses 22 through 25. Uh, and, and I just felt like the Lord is saying, this is what I want you to read. And in my heart, I didn't want to read it. It says... Have faith in God, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And then goes on to say, and, and one last thing, when you're praying, um, if there's someone that needs to be forgiven, forgive just as your Father in heaven has forgiven you. And I'm, I'm reading that in the car. I'm actually walking up there going, God, is this really what you want me to read to him? The guy's got terminal cancer. It's pretty clear it's going to be the end. And I went, I stood by his bedside and obediently read those words. And, and, I, and I felt um, prompted to say, is there someone you need to forgive? He ended up forgiving primarily his father in, and wept. And I left and I got a call later from his wife and she said they went in to do the surgery and uh, there was there was nothing there it was gone it actually been eradicated from his body um, there is this truth that uh, I want you to understand because I could list miracle after miracle there's miracles I've seen there's miracles I've heard there's miracles have been verified but one of the most incredible miracle I have witnessed is the transformation of a human being. The miracle of a transformed life, a sinful and proud, selfish heart, supernaturally reborn through faith in Jesus, uh, is the, the greatest miracle above all miracles. Jesus seems to indicate that. He says in Mark chapter 2, uh, he gives a story, the story that Mark shares is of these four buddies who are bringing a, a guy who uh, is paralyzed on a stretcher. They get to the house, it's too crowded, they can't get in. They tear open the ceiling and they lower the guy down before Jesus. And Jesus forgives him of his sins and then heals him. And everyone's just like blown away. But the religious right are ticked off that Jesus would dare act like God and forgive someone else's sin. That's only something God your Father can do. And Jesus looks at it and says, what's more difficult? For God to heal a, a paralyzed person or to transform a heart? And the answer is the biggest miracle is a heart transformed by the forgiveness of Jesus. He said this on other occasions. It was one time he sent 72 disciples out and they came running back. They were so excited because the miracles they saw, the demons, they, they, they said, Lord, even demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus goes, that's cool. I've given you that kind of authority. That's going to happen. You're going to see healings. You're going to see demons who will be rebuked and removed. But here's what I want you to do. This is the greatest miracle of all. And that is that, that your, your names are written in heaven. So what I want to talk to you in this passage, because this is what this passage focuses on, is what I, what I call next to a transformed heart, 
The second greatest miracle is a transformed community. It is a community that is in unity. It is a community that is willing to have differences, see things differently, um, agree to make the main thing the main thing, and continue to walk in to what they know is true, and that's to see as many people come to know Jesus as possible. And so next to a transformed life and all the other miracles that I've listed you, I think the second greatest miracle is a common unity, people coming around Jesus to serve him in unity. I think of the kind of unity is so difficult. But just because think of parenting. Uh, parents even struggle. Screen time or no screen time. Sweets or no sweets. Um, one parent working outside house, both parents working out. Uh, uh, what about uh, which preschool? Which, uh, what kind of disciplinary form? Authoritarian or more permissive? Um, if you think about that, um, and then and then you think of two people just coming around parenting in unity with different views and coming together, and then just add in-laws and outlaws and brothers and sisters and friends. Look at our nation. Look at our families. Um, that's why Christmas and Thanksgiving can be so difficult. They can be strife-filled often. Uh, for mo- many people, this last Thanksgiving, like in our home, we, both Grace and I, celebrated alone. We weren't able to due to COVID, and many have experienced that. Some of you have the joy of doing that. But I want you to know, next to a transformation of a person's heart and all these other miracles, the, the second greatest is that. It's unity. And and that's what I believe God is calling us together in this next season. So I just want to say this right now. As we move through this next season, and we've been praying, and we've been asking God on our knees, God, where do you want us to go? I think God is going to bring together us in unity. And there will be disagreement and there will be some things that we don't understand, but it's going to be our call that we will do this together in unity. Um, but know this, it'll be tested. It'll be tested again and again. In fact, as we go through Acts now and we get into these next chapters, beginning in, as soon as we get into chapter 5 and on, uh, the unity is tested both internally and then also externally. But today, what I want us to look at, and we'll just take a few moments to talk about this, is two passages that are found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. They are a picture of what unity looks like. It's the early church being formed together in unity. And both these passages, um, according to scholars, uh, they see them as summaries of what God has been doing something and then Peter preaches or something happens and then they share how God is at work within the community. And so I, I'm going to read these summaries and I'm going to ask you to um, hear with your hearts this, the word of God from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, this comes right after 3,000 that says are added to the church. So this, this church is growing. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with a glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
And then you go a little bit further, right? After um, what we had read this past week, the, the last two messages, we go now to Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37, which sums this up. All the believers were one in mind and heart. Selfishness, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, selfishness was not a part of their community. For they shared everything they had with one another. And the apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Some who owned houses or or land sold them and, and brought the proceeds before the apostles to distribute to those without. Not a single person among them was needy. For example, there was a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph who sold farmland and placed the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And they nicknamed him Barnabas, which means encourager. So what I want to just mention to you, there are what we're going to look at is three marks of, um, of unity that are seen in this church that really um, kind of fit a lot about what we talk about when we say people, what we would like to see God being doing in us is we talk about worship, community, and serving. And those three areas. So the first mark that you look at is what I call vibrant worship. And I put these words behind that, vibrant worship, because we think of worship as just people singing choruses and coming to church on Sunday. Vibrant worship is much greater than that. It's your whole life. But there is an aspect of it where your life is lived in the presence of God. So the words I put after it is being in God's presence together. When we look at community, we'll, we'll talk about doing life together. When we talk about service, we'll be talking about doing good together. Those are three things that, that stand out. The first being vibrant worship. We worship by celebrating God's gift of who he is, and we do that together. We, we take time and we stop and we just enter together into his presence. We, we focus on the gift of his son, Jesus, the word and flesh given to us, and the grace that comes through Jesus, and the faith that he generates in our heart. For him, Acts two forty two, in the message reads, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostle, the life together, the common meal, and the common meal was they would eat a meal together in homes, and then they would also celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, the the celebrating the Lord's Supper is not something that necessarily just happened in the church, and you had to have some apostles. I mean, there are people who are going to disagree with that, but if you read Acts in the early church, and they were meeting in homes, and they were taking that together um, on a fairly consistent basis. And the last being um, not just this common meal, the Lord's Supper, they also prayed together. The importance of being in God's presence, um, I can't stress that enough. Um, well-doing, a church that does well, that truly does well. It's not just about activity, but actually sees hearts transformed and growing deeper in their relationship with Jesus is the church that spends time in God's presence. They, they, they are together. Being together in God's presence is a priority. And, and the way they do that is a number of ways. You see four significant things he mentions here. He mentions they're learning God's word. God's word is central. It, it, it is the, the glue in that sense that holds us together. We've said again and again, we are a church of the spirit and the word. Um, this word of, of being together uh, is translated here, life together, or some say devoted to the fellowship uh, it's it's acquired at that time kind of what I, what I would call a semi-technical um, 
kind of term. It, it actually could mean like a synagogue of the Nazarenes. They were like looked at as a special group of people who were doing life together around Jesus. Devoted to remembering the Lord's passion, um, his, his, his passion that we celebrate together in communion, that love feast, and then devoted to prayer. Um, they would come together. It wasn't a strange thing. They would come together, and one of the central things they would do is not just hear the word of God, but they would pray together. They would listen to God and to one another in prayer. It's what we've been doing through this season that we've called um, from here to there, listening to God and to one another, where we have been developing these prayer groups in times where we come together. Because prayer is, is most often an individualized America, a solo sport. It wasn't meant that way. Even in the in the Jewish Old Testament community, it was a it was a team sport. It was a team thing that you did together. You came into the presence of God through prayer, and so we're going to do that. We're actually going to just take some time here right now, and uh, I'm going to ask if you have that um, communion cup or that bread um, to go get some, and we're we're going to take communion together. We're just going to be together in the presence of God. We were going to um, take a moment just to experience his love and, and dwell upon that. And I'm going to ask you to do that as you listen to this song. And at some point in these next three to four minutes, I'm going to encourage you, if you have accepted Jesus and you have received his forgiveness and you desire to follow him and commit your life to him, this is your meal. This is an opportunity to say, I'm living my life in your kingdom, Jesus. I'm following you as you teach and have taught. And at some point, would you take communion? And then I'm just going to come back and share a few more things um, and uh, continue in with this message. So undeniable 
thank God for that opportunity to just pause and to be present with him and, and with you as we did that even though we're not in the same room we're doing this as a shared experience together and even if you're listening to this at a different time we're still together God has this incredible way of when we act together even though our actions might not happen at the same time there's a unity to it which leads to the the, the second mark that you see of a church that is um is expressing this incredible miracle of unity. And I call that second one, there's connected community. And I use the word connected because um, I, I, I just want to challenge you as a church. I think we've been too disconnected over these last number of years. There is only one way for us to connect more together, and that is at some larger events to be together so we sense the oneness. And when God opens up COVID, I, I'm going to ask you, and, um, it's too easy, I know, just to watch this on live stream. I know that will probably be a part of the church in the future, but I also encourage us to be connected together in the same room, in the same experience, to do that not only there, but in small groups. You see both those things happening in this passage. Um, we basically enjoy community by enjoying the gift of one another and getting to know one another. And, and part of that brings rejoicing. That's one of the things you see. They're excited to be together. They're, um, they actually like being together. Uh, they're expected when they come together that, that they're going to have stories of how God has been at work in their life or expecting to be able to share with one another what God is, is doing or where they're struggling or, or where they really need prayer. Uh, so many of you will find that in small groups. And if you're not in a, a group where it's, the church is broken down into that kind of like home kind of setting or wherever you would meet, I encourage you to do so. Acts 246 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Uh, so they they would get together in these smaller settings and groups where they could get to really know one another. There's a sense, he says, of a spirit of sincerity, which I would say there was an authenticity, a growing sense of vulnerability where people allowed people into their life. And it created a kind of community where you... Um, could be known for who you really are uh, so that there wasn't this need for perfection but an, uh, an opportunity where you could really be known truly be known for who you are and others could then get to be known which in that kind of setting 
um, allows for God to actually bring healing in the hearts of people. Um, there's an amazing work that God does when community comes together like that. And, and you're not pretending. You're actually letting people into your life. You can actually show up what's what truly is going on. It's, it's what we talk so often about is a place where everyone's welcome and nobody's perfect. Because in those kind of settings, Jesus can show up and, and anything's possible as he works through his people, as people pray together for what God wants to do in them. And so as you go on in Acts 4, in verse 33, it says, The apostle gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Grace is basically God's empowering presence, which would be upon you and would be flowing through you to do the things that God's calling you to do. As you go through Acts again, remember one of the most important things is the resurrection occurs. It begins with the ascension with God being glorified and going, and Jesus going to the right hand of the Father. They lived with a reality and gave powerful testimony to the fact that this resurrected Jesus who has power is sitting on the throne and he is in control of not only this world, but of the things that are going around us. And that he ultimately is the one who will bring all these things to a good end. And so there was connected community. And there's so much more I could say about that. But there's also what I call joyful serving. They, they, they were doing good together. Not only were they doing life together and they enjoyed being together, they were doing good together. They were serving by using their gifts, whether they were personal spiritual gifts or by using their resources and sharing it with one another so that when they saw a need, they met a need. When they uh, were praying for someone, they didn't just pray with words. They often would look for ways. How can God you use me in this situation? What do you want me to do in this situation? They had been so blessed by others in the community that they wanted to bless others. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 45 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I mean, they joyfully... Uh, without a sense of obligation, like, oh, we've got to do this, and we've got to write this check for the church, or we got to write this for a caring fund to help people. It wasn't, it was, man, look how God has blessed us. I, I just want to take what I have and, and, and give that back and, and bless others. I love this in verse 32, 34, and 35, and I like the way it's written by the Passion Translation. Selfishness was not a part of their community. That happens from time to time. When, the, when, the, when God is at work, there's a real incredible sense where um, our own self-centeredness begins to fall aside. For they shared everything they had with one another. Some owned homes and had land and sold them and brought the proceeds before the apostles to distribute to those without need. Not a single person was needy among them. And in a moment, I'm excited for Tina to come up and share. She oversees our local serve on staff. And um, and you as a congregation have met so many needs in this time. Yeah, I know you're doing it individually, but I'm so excited how we're doing good together. And I, I want the, the rest of this message to be for you to hear how God is using you as a corporate group, this body, and it's not praise to us, it's just praise to God that we have people who are responding to the work of God and we're doing good together in ways that touches people. And uh, their work was, the, the, the giving that gave was sincere, 
done with joy. It was voluntary in their um, approach to it. Um, And God used it to touch hearts and lives. As they experienced God's love, they loved others. As they were helped by um, others and God through others, they wanted to, to take God and use what they've been given so that they could touch others with God's presence. Their needs were met, so they wanted to meet the needs of others. So, Tina, I'm going to ask, would you come up and would you share and, and just kind of let us know what God has been doing and how he's at work? And, and then I'll come back at the end here uh, just to wrap it up. Okay. All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you or if you're at home, wherever you are watching. Um, it's just a... It's a privilege to be up here this morning and see all, I'm, I'm assuming all of you are smiling. I'm just going to go with that. Um, so as Kevin said, um, I'm Tina Hoverston, and I have a couple different roles here at this church, but one is as the local serve director. And so while this role is new to me as a staff member, I have had the privilege of serving here um, at this church for a lot of years. In fact, I think it's been almost 21 now, so I'm dating myself a little bit, but um just the opportunity to participate in serving in a variety of ways has been a blessing, and I'm just grateful to be part of a place where we love and serve God through serving others. Um, and as Kevin said, when we do this, when we do good, whether we're physically together in big groups or small or individually in unity of spirit, it changes the landscape of the world we live in, and it really changes us. And this may be true for a lot of you, but I'm just going to speak for myself when I say serving has really challenged me to show up sacrificially with compassion, to take my eyes and my focus off myself um, and my own circumstances and develop deeper empathy. Serving has helped me gain a better understanding of the struggles and the systems that need to be heard and healed, and I really hope it's helped me grow in humility. The Bible shows us over and over again how Jesus lived and led this way, and I'm just convinced that when we do it, when we serve and we truly see others, we get to know God's heart more intimately. We get to be a part of his plan to bring hope and joy to a hurting world. And this gets me a bit fired up, so I hope it does for you too. Uh, One of the coolest parts of my job is that I just get a front row seat. I get to see our ministry partners and their heart and passion for the people they serve and the earnestness by which they do it. And I also get a glimpse into the enormity of the work that they have and a desire to learn from them and find ways we can come alongside them. And I get to see your hearts, your willingness and desire to participate in what God is doing, to see your gifts and your talents and your creativity at work. And all these pieces just weave together. And so I get to hear those stories and see God's faithfulness and be encouraged. And so that's what gets me up here on stage this morning, because admittedly, this is never my comfort zone. Um, But I want to be up here to encourage you and thank you for your generosity this past year. For all we couldn't do physically together, or maybe just not the way we'd hoped, we'd still work together. And in a time that's been especially challenging, um, I've seen you use your time and your gifts, your finances, and your presence to really make an impact. So I want to share a few highlights. Um, this doesn't begin to cover everything, um, especially the individual ways people have been caring for one another. And I know our caring ministries have done so much behind the scenes. But it's a little glimpse into how God is moving in some cool ways and how you've been a part of it. So I think we have a few slides. Um, earlier this month, about 30 of us had a chance to go together to pack food at Every Meal, which is formerly the Sheridan story. Um, we went to their warehouse in Roseville. Some of you might have remembered meeting together in the gym back in March to pack meals pretty much shoulder to shoulder right before COVID kind of shut it all down. 
So this time, um, our event included social distancing and masks, and they did a great job of making it a safe environment. Uh, it was a ton of fun. We had ages 8 through young adult and parents and grandparents. So um, the feedback I got was it was just nice to be able to get out and do something together hands-on. We packed over 15,000 meals, and those will be among the many thousands that every meal is working hard to get to the over 200,000 children and families facing food insecurity. So you can imagine with school shut down and the economic impacts of COVID, this gap is only widening. So we're looking forward to doing some more packing events. Right now they've had to limit those, um, again, due to COVID, but we'll get those back on the schedule and keep you posted. Um, our partnership with Every Meal has also continued in other ways, and I'm really excited to share that Wyzetta Free, thanks to your financial generosity, um, is now an Every Meal sponsor of two local elementary schools, so Greenwood and Meadow Ridge. Um, God just really orchestrated the timing um, of this, and so over the next three years, we're committed to covering the cost of the meals provided to the students who qualify for Every Meal programming in those two schools. And even more importantly, we get to develop relationships with those schools their staff, and be on-site as volunteers to distribute meals on a weekly basis. So right now that in-person piece is on hold, but um, I'd love to have you be praying for these schools, for the students who will be served, and the volunteer team that we're going to be putting together to help support this sponsorship. Uh, So a couple other examples. Um, At the start of the school year, we hosted a backpack and school supply drive for interfaith outreach. So you guys showed up big and filled my car and a couple shopping carts worth, and I did get a note from Interfaith that said that with our help and that of other donors, they were able to provide 700 backpacks stuffed with school supplies um, for kids in need. And so thank you for being part of helping these kids start their year well. Uh, In October, we came alongside New Life Family Services by being one of their gala sponsors. Again, this is a huge event for New Life, and being able to help fund them um, allowed them to have both in-person and a virtual program, and that gives them the opportunity to share their mission and raise additional support to do what they do so well, to provide ongoing support for their clients, baby items, parenting classes, ultrasounds, counseling, um, adoption services, just to name a few. And then Freedom Works is another one of our partners that we're able to support right now. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with them, they work with men coming out of prison, providing housing and a pathway to meaningful employment. They offer Bible studies, personal accountability, service, and fellowship. And they have about 100 residents. And just like everyone else right now, they're trying to pivot. They're trying to meet a lot of needs um, while having more restrictions and less volunteers. So again, your financial generosity enabled our local um, board to help support them by providing Christmas meals for their residents. And as many of you might have seen recently, um, we posted a wish for their 50 dozen cookies and asked for volunteers. And I just have to say, we have some bakers in the house because that filled up really fast. So thank you for that. Um, If you're worried about what recipe to try and you need a taste tester... I'll be more than willing. So, um, But thank you for helping to make Christmas feel a little more personal for these men. Um, it's just a reminder to each of them that they are seen and cared about. Uh, the last one I want to mention is the Giving Tree. So this is a partnership with between Carry Ministries and Local Serve. It's something that's kind of an annual tradition that many of you have been a part of. So I just want to invite you to stop in the lobby if you're here on the way out and you can grab a heart and sign up and the directions are on there. Or if you're at home, and you want to participate without being in the building, you can go online. It's on the front page of our website or on the app, and you can sign up on our virtual tree. So these items go to supporting families in our church, in our surrounding community, um, and some of our ministry partners, too, including Mobile Hope and Freedom Works. 
And just in an effort to do this together, we've tried to get creative. And so there's different areas of ministry involved, from kids' ministry to our seniors. They've all poured into this. Um, so I'm just really grateful for that, and I hope you'll check it out and get involved. Uh, one more quick story, just because I think these organized serve projects are awesome, but I also want to encourage the simple everyday acts of obedience. So I, I had a mom friend who reached out to me last week. Um, at the schools, they were giving away Thanksgiving meals, and she qualified for two of them and really only needed one and just said, boy, is there anybody that could use this? And I had a person in mind, and so through a bunch of text message exchanges, we agreed to how we were going to connect the two together. And when um, the gal I knew came to pick up the meal, she was just so grateful because she and commented, you know, she wouldn't have been able to have a Thanksgiving meal um, without that being provided to her. But then in addition, she has some clients she works with that she knew wasn't going to have a meal either, so she was going to be able to pass that on. So she was getting a gift, and she was passing on that gift, and it was just really heartwarming to hear her story. Um, and then I reached back to the friend who donated it just to pass that on, and she goes, oh, it was just, it was a simple thing. She was glad she could help, and... Not that that was dismissive in any way, but it struck me as just, it was, it wasn't complex. It wasn't hard to um, make that happen. It was just a simple nudge that she had and that she acted on. And that led to joyful conversations, a friend who felt really seen and heard and could now provide something to her family and others. So that small nudge was a big ripple. And as my, the gal that got the meal said, it, it just gave hope. So, I think that that's just important to hear, too. Um, in sharing all this, again, this is a, how God is at work, and I hope you feel encouraged and can see and celebrate the way God is moving and the way that you've joined in and the difference that's made in our community and beyond. And there's more good work to be done together. So we're going to keep working on ways to connect you and your gifts to those in need of them um, as we head into the new year, and you're going to hear more about that. And I know some of you might just be feeling that little ache that you want to be doing something and you just can't do it right now. And boy, I get that. So I just invite you to pay attention, to continue to listen to where God is leading, to get excited about that, to learn about that while we have this time, get creative, and meanwhile, just keep your eyes open for those everyday right in front of you things. And feel free, reach out to me anytime. If you, your small group, your family are looking for ways to get involved, I'd be more than happy to help facilitate that. So we're going to have a couple of videos here, um, people that participated in the meal packing event, kind of telling their experience with it. Um, thanks for letting me share, and I just want to leave you with one last quote. So Martin Luther King Jr. says this, Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Thank you. I had the opportunity to serve uh, through our church with every meal. It was a lot of fun to be able to pack meals with our church community. Um, uh, the way they had it set up was there's a bunch of different assembly lines, so you could choose which role on the assembly line you wanted to play. Uh, and also they had a real-time tracker to see just how many meals we were, we were packing. Um, because there were so many of us and we were so efficient, we were able to pack uh, over 3,000 meals. So it was really cool to see that impact. Um, and I, I encourage all of you uh, to, to get out and serve. I think it's important to get out of your comfort zone and to uh, not just do something if it's convenient, but to move your schedule around, look for ways to engage your friends or family, 
um, and uh, and uh, go out and serve. Hi, my name is Claire, and me and my mom went to organize food for little boys and girls who needed over the weekend, and I liked it because I really just like organizing, so I, I don't know, I just liked it. We like to do service projects as a family as often as possible to help our kids understand the needs in our own community right here at home. Uh, the needs for the group Every Meal is especially um pertinent to our children because these are peers um, and little boys and girls that they may know at school. And so we loved being able to help out in a very real way, tangibly with our hands um, together. I just want to say Tina and to the local serve team and to many of you who have participated in all these different things and those who will be serving in our serve day as it comes up here again in June. It's an all-church opportunity to do good together. Um, I just want to say thank you. And uh, I just want to have us conclude with these final verses from Acts chapter 4. I think it's interesting. He concludes 36 and 37 because... Um, he's going to give a contrast and share about Barnabas, the, the encourager, because the next story is Ananias and Sapphira. And you're going to see in chapter 5 just how different their spirit and heart is and how it was their hypocrisy, which is always a thing, you know, this pride and, and sense of not being real and pretending, destroys the church. It destroys the kind of unity that God wants. And in the early church, God dealt with it. But that's a whole other story. Here's the verse. For example, there was a Levi. He was from Cyprus, which many was from the island. Uh, one of the islands uh, off of there, he they had property probably in Jerusalem. Some people want to say when it comes to the property, uh, they were thinking Jesus would come really soon. So they had the sense of let's just sell everything. And they were providing for each other that way because later on, um, in the New Testament, Paul is raising money for the poor in Jerusalem because the church itself had become a group of very impoverished people. So uh, I think God is um, calling us to be wise with our possessions, but to give when he calls us to give. And when his spirit's prompting, give. Um, and one of the things they talk about him is that he was an encourager. So I just want to end on this. One of the truly most significant and easiest gifts I think you can give in this COVID season is to encourage people. Whether it's a word you share with them, you talk to them on the phone, you Zoom them, you send them a card. Uh, You don't need to get a big gift. Probably one of the most important gifts you can give to people in this time, which has been so difficult as we come through Thanksgiving, move into Christmas, is encourage someone. Would you pray about doing that? And let me pray for you. Father, use us So that as we are together in your presence and we just spend time being, you will allow for us to do well. We will be people who do life together and do good together. And I pray even specifically now, as people listen to you and ask, who is it, God, that you want me to give the gift of encouragement to? Who do you want me to be a Barnabas to? May we give gifts because you have given so much to us. In Jesus' name, amen.